0: Welcome back to the Grand Valley Church Podcast, a community of faith in Brandon, Manitoba. We hope this message helps you meet Jesus and grow in faith. So we've been in a series called Didn't See It Coming, and it's based on a book by pastor and author, Kerry Newhoff, and we've been talking about these challenges that we encounter in life that sometimes sneak up on us without us knowing, and today we are talking about one of those challenges that does sneak up on us without us often knowing, and we can be in the middle of it and not even realize this is what we're facing. But just to get you caught up on where we've been, we started this series off talking about cynicism, and if you're with us, we learned that if we stay curious, we can learn how to hope again, how to trust again, how to believe again. And curiosity is part of the key to overcoming cynicism in our life. And two weeks ago, we talked about disconnection. We talked about how love has a pace that's slower than we are. And so sometimes we need to slow down in order to connect more and combat that loneliness and isolation we often feel. And then last week, Carrie led us through pride. And we talked about how if Humility is the only thing that will get you out of what pride got you into. And so, if we want to overcome pride, and sometimes pride comes out of our insecurities, not just our achievements or what we think of ourselves, but humility is the only thing that takes us out of pride. And today, we're going to be talking about the topic of emptiness. And we're going to be talking about how emptiness happens, what Scripture has to say about it, and how we can actually find a path out of feeling empty. And you might be wondering what emptiness is, but to get us there, how many of you know the show Frasier? Like the sitcom, Frasier, that used to be on? Okay, awesome, good. This is going to go well then. Because if you have no idea, then, then I've got to really set this up. But Frasier is a call-in psychiatrist in Seattle. And it was a long-running show, and he, he dealt with people's problems, while at the same time, we got to laugh along at his own problems. But later on in the series, there's this episode where Frasier gets announced that he is going to receive a Lifetime Achievement Award from the Seattle Broadcasting Association. This is a big deal for him. And what happens is this gift basket shows up at his, at his apartment, and there's a card on it, and it's from his mentor, from the professor who taught him at PhD, who Fraser looked up to. And the card says, you must be very proud. Now this sets off Frazier, because if you were here last week, we know that pride is the gap between where we are and where we think we are. And so when his mentor sends him this message, you must be very proud, Fraser takes it as like, this is condescension. This is his professor saying, you've become so inflated, you're so full of yourself now that you got this award. And so Frazier is upset. So he travels to Harvard to confront his professor and his mentor about like, why did you write this? It turns out his professor didn't even write it. He had his assistant write the card. The professor wasn't even involved in it. And that just makes Frazier angrier. And Fraser doesn't understand why does he feel the way he does when he's about to receive this pinnacle award of his achievement. Well, he barges in on his professor, and why don't we watch it together? I'm sorry, caller. I can't help you. Fraser doesn't know how to get to the bottom of why he feels the way he feels. And his mentor, to his credit, doesn't let him put a band-aid on it, doesn't let him bury it under something else. He says, deal with with the feeling. See, Fraser is experiencing something that is surprisingly common, but rarely talked about. And that is this feeling of emptiness. And emptiness happens whenever we reach a point of something. Maybe we have a goal. Maybe we have achievement. Maybe we have something we're shooting for, we're working towards. And when we get there, it doesn't feel the way we thought it did. In fact, for me, emptiness was something that, that I had to wrestle with a few years ago. And if you've been around for a while, you might know that back in 2013, before that, I was the associate pastor here, and we did a, an intentional leadership transition where our previous lead pastor knew that his, his time to be the pastor here had come to a close. And we did this year-long intentional transition where I stepped into the lead role. And so I was beginning to figure out, what does it mean to be a lead pastor, and at the same point, I still had a year left on my degree to finish off. And so from that year of middle of 2013 to middle of 2014, I was figuring out, well, what is it like to preach most weeks? Like, what, is it, what does it mean to actually be in this, this lead role to help people to be a pastor? And at the same time, trying to slog my way through a full-time course load. In fact, Nikki often joked that when, my, when I graduated, we would have to figure out how to be married again because we never saw each other because I was always writing papers and trying to get that done. And in fact, at the end of my degree, it came down to such a crunch that I, finished my last correspondence course in four days, start to finish, to hit the deadline before the graduation day, like the day before graduation, finished off the last course. And so it was this big kind of celebration. I was done school. The board of elders extended, said, hey, we want you to stay and be our permanent lead pastor. And Nikki and I felt that's exactly where God was leading us. And so we chose to stay. And then all of a sudden I was in that summer, things just felt weird to me things just felt off. I wasn't depressed. I wasn't angry. I wasn't discouraged, but it didn't feel like what I thought it was going to feel like. And I was wrestling with this, well, what does it mean? And and no one really knew that this was going on internally, this kind of internally figuring out like, what does this mean? What's this feeling? Because for the last year and a half, I had been so driven and so focused towards reaching this point. i had never stopped to ask myself, what's next? And so what I did as I was reading this book and it had this list of questions, it said you should send this list of questions to the people who know you well and listen to their responses. And so I did that. I sent to about four or five of like mentors and close friends, people that I figured would know me better than me maybe. And I gave them these questions and I want to read to you from one of those emails that a friend sent back to me. And the question that I asked was like, when am I at my best? When do I actually seem like... I have have purpose and meaning, and I know what's going on. And this is what he said back to me, and I'm not going to say who it is. He wrote to me, Knowing what you're working towards seems to bring out the best in you. Feeling directionless. Having achieved these goals and wondering what now makes it difficult for anyone to be at their best. Feeling directionless. Wondering what now. Emptiness. Is that lingering what now question that resonates in us after a success or an achievement, after we've reached the pinnacle of something? Frazier is getting this lifetime achievement award, and he looks at everything his life has built and says, but it feels empty. See, emptiness follows success because success fails to give us what we thought it would. Now, I want to break a little myth on this. Emptiness does not mean you are ungrateful. You can be incredibly grateful for what God's done in your life, for what you've been able to work to achieve, for for the people around you that have supported you in this process. You can be incredibly grateful, but still have that feeling of emptiness, of knowing, well, what's the point? What now? What's next? So let's dig to the bottom of that. Let's deal with this feeling, as Fraser's mentor says. Let's get to the bottom. So what is this sense of emptiness? And if we go back all the way into the Old Testament and we go to a book that we've gone to a couple times in the series, and that is the book of Ecclesiastes, we get a book that that portions of it explore this topic, this feeling in depth. And this book was written by Solomon, and he was the third king of Israel during the time when their nation was united. And Solomon is really the pinnacle, the peak of Israel's influence and power. He was the wisest man who ever lived because when he became king, he didn't know what to do. And so we asked God, well, would you give me wisdom? And so God says, I will make you wiser than any man who ever lived. And he used that wisdom and he had wealth and he had power and he brokered treaties that ensured the nation's prosperity. And Israel was the dominant superpower nation of that era about the 10th century BC. And then near the end of his life, Solomon is reflecting back and he writes this book that we have called Ecclesiastes. And here's where the book starts. Ecclesiastes 1 verse 2, everything is meaningless, says the teacher, completely meaningless. See, if you're reading this, you probably think, what's the next book of the Bible? And you just skip over this whole thing, but let's dig into this. Why does Solomon say everything is meaningless? He's a man who literally has it all. In fact, he goes on and he starts describing this. He says, look, I am wiser than any of the kings who ruled in Jerusalem before me. I have greater knowledge and wisdom than any of them. So I set out to learn everything from wisdom to madness to folly. He says, I said to myself, come on, let's try pleasure. Let's look for the good things in life. But I found that that too was meaningless. I tried to find meaning by building huge homes for myself, by planting beautiful vineyards. I made gardens and parks, filling them with all kinds of fruit trees. I built reservoirs to collect the water to irrigate the many flourishing groves. Sometimes we see that ourselves. We try to find our meaning in our homes. I mean, if your home is always under renovation, oh, I always got to update to the newest trend. I always got to update this. When, when I do this, when I tear down that wall, when I change the kitchen cabinets, that's when this place will feel like home. Solomon did all that. He built the biggest mansions. He had more property than anyone else. And then he goes on, he says, I bought slaves, both men and women, and others were born into my household. I also owned large herds and flocks, more than any of the kings who had lived in Jerusalem before me. I collected great sums of silver and gold, the treasure of many kings and provinces. He tried to find meaning and purpose in accumulating wealth. He tried to find it in owning everything. And and we look at this and we say, well, he owned slaves. Well, slavery in that era was more like indentured servitude. He had a permanent workforce that he owned to maintain all those properties and maintain everything he did. And then that didn't solve Solomon's angst either. And so they he turned to this one. He said, I hired wonderful singers, both men and women. I had many beautiful concubines. I had everything a man could desire. Let's throw a timeout, flag on the play. Wait a second, Solomon, what are you trying to do here? Because elsewhere in scripture, in the, in the book of Kings, it tells us that Solomon had 300 wives and 700 concubines. Now, is that what God wanted for his king? Is that who what God wanted the king of Israel to do? The answer is a straight-up no. In fact, if we go back to Deuteronomy, we go back to the law for a second. God said this to Moses to pass on, that one day when the nation has a king, the king must not take many wives for himself because they will turn his heart away from the Lord. He must not accumulate large amounts of wealth in silver and gold for himself. Well, wait a second, what did Solomon do? All of that. So let's come back to Solomon into Ecclesiastes chapter two, verse nine. He says, so I became greater than all who had ever lived in Jerusalem before me and my wisdom never failed me. Anything I wanted, I would take. I denied myself no pleasure. But as I looked at everything I had worked so hard to accomplish, it was all so meaningless, like chasing the wind. There was nothing really worthwhile anywhere. Now that word meaningless in the Hebrew, it gets, can be translated in multiple ways. It can be translated that it is a shallow breath, that it is temporary, that it is fleeting, that it has no lasting value. He's saying everything I've experienced and he experienced everything was meaningless He achieved the highest pinnacle of success that we could ever define. And even then, he felt empty and meaningless after. So success often leads to meaningless. When we've achieved something, when we've worked towards something, when we've reached a point that we were like, that's that's my goal that I'm pushing forward. I'm chasing my dream, and I get to my dream, and it doesn't fulfill me. It feels empty. So if success leads us to emptiness... What does emptiness lead us to next? See, and this is something that, that Carrie talks about in the book, and, and as, as you read it, you realize how true this is, that we always try to soothe our emptiness with something. We always try to find something that will take our emptiness and, and make that feeling go away. is trying to bury it in all the tools and tricks of his trade, but he can't get rid of it. So emptiness, here's what emptiness leads to. Emptiness leads to more. We want more. We think, I need something to satisfy this. So maybe, you know, if you're looking at your car, you're like, you know, well, we should have a second car. Maybe a third car as a family. That would, that would make our lives easier. That would, that would help. That might solve it. And we tell ourselves things like that would solve it. But more doesn't satisfy. And so more leads to better. And we say, you know, I got to get rid of that, like domestic suv and i got to get like something with german engineering i got to get like something to import. i got to get something cool and that that's where i'll find some you know sense of satisfaction every time i get behind the wheel but then better leads to different you know i need something unique there's too many of this car driving are you ever noticed that you're like ah oh, you know you, you buy a car and then all of a sudden you start seeing that car everywhere and you're like oh everyone has this and so you think well what's different well lamborghini sells an suv now i don't know why But maybe I want a Lamborghini SUV. Like that would be different. I would find meaning. I would I would feel better about myself if I had a Lamborghini SUV. And we we don't say these things out loud because the moment we say them out loud we realize how ridiculous they seem. So we'll say this internally, we'll say this quietly, we'll say this buried away in our subconscious. And you could replace cars with whatever here. But you see that pattern of, we want something more, we want the bigger place. We want the the house with more bedrooms, with more bathrooms. And then we want something better, you know, we want something more modern looking, we want something nicer, then we want something different. We want these tiles that were imported from Italy, that that, uh, monks carved out of the rock themselves. Look how fancy, like, better leads to different, but different different only leads to despair. Because even when we reach that point, if you have the means to reach the level of different, where everything is unique and artisan and craftsman, different only leads to despair. Because when we get there, we realize that it didn't satisfy that emptiness. It didn't satisfy that need. It didn't satisfy that feeling. So when we attempt to solve our emptiness, we should just realize that we jump straight from emptiness to despair and not waste all the money and the the steps in between. Because when we try to solve our emptiness ourselves, what it usually leads to is this. It leads to self-medicating. And self-medicating is any time we self-prescribe something to make ourselves feel better. And self-medicating and self-care are two different things because self-care is actually addressing the root issue. But self-medicating is only addressing the symptom. It's only addressing the, the, I feel this way, so I'm going to deal with that. It never gets to dealing with, why do I feel this way? And so self-medicating, you know, sometimes you know, that might be a path towards an addiction like alcoholism or drugs, and, and we're not going to talk about those ones too much today because I think we understand those are often a self-medication for something. I want to talk about two ways that we self-medicate that are often overlooked, And the first one is workaholism. In fact, Kerry puts it this way in the book. He says, workaholism is the most rewarded addiction. You may get fired for drinking too much, but working too much usually gets you promoted and it also gets you a raise. Your manager, if you're suddenly like putting in tons more hours and producing way more, they're going to go, oh sweet, I can put more work on this person. You know, our department can do the work of 12 people instead of 10. If this person's doing the work of three, that's awesome. I'm going to hit my quarterly goals. This employee's going to make me look good. See, workaholism just digs in deeper. It's just digging in and it's, it's rewarded. And that's why we don't often see this as a way that we sometimes self-medicate ourselves. But the other way that we self-medicate is that we confuse the symptom. Often we confuse feeling empty with feeling hungry. And I mean literally hungry. How often do you raid the the fridge or the pantry late at night when you're not really hungry, but you're like, ah, eating something would feel good. Or or if you go open the pantry, there's nothing there. You kind of open the fridge, there's nothing there. You go back to the pantry, you just lower your standards a little further. You know, you just grab the goldfish, or maybe that's just me. But self-medicating only addresses the symptom. It never actually gets us to the root cause of what's actually going on in us. So if we have this feeling of emptiness, and maybe you're just recognizing it for the first time, that, yeah, that is what I'm feeling. Emptiness only, or sorry, self-medicating only deals with the symptoms of emptiness. So how do we get to that root cause? How do we get to the very bottom root cause of what's going on? Why do we feel empty? And here's what I think it comes down to. The root cause of emptiness is the expectation we put on our own success. See, I had this thought in my mind that was buried deep, that when I finished my degree, that when I finished, you know, we went through that interim position of transition, and, and God was like, well, either we're staying or we're not, and God was clearly saying, stay, this is where I want you to be, to lead and to pastor I had this thought that, well, everything's going to be wonderful after that. Everything's going to be great. And then there was this thing called ordination that got tacked on, and I had to like, go back to writing papers and reading books and then go do a big giant panel interview just to get these little three letters in front of my name that I never even use anyways. I'm like, isn't life about more than just putting letters before and after your name? See, I had this expectation of what life would be like when that transition period was done. And it, and it wasn't what it was. It wasn't what I wanted it to be. I was looking for something and I couldn't figure out what it was. Because I was doing the exact same thing that Frazier was doing. Emptiness cannot be solved by looking inward. Now, self-knowledge is important. Being aware of our feelings, being aware of our emotions, all that is important and good. Don't get me wrong. But you're not actually going to find the answer to the emptiness we feel if we only look Inward. We actually have to look outward. And Carrie puts it this way If you want to beat emptiness, you need to find a mission that's bigger than you. If you want to beat emptiness, you need to look for something that is more than you are. See, that's what Solomon couldn't do. Solomon couldn't realize that what he was supposed to do was define himself in relation to God. In fact, that Deuteronomy 17 passage goes on and says, every king should write out by hand the entire book of the law themselves because it forces them to read every single page. And they should read from that book of the law every single day because that is what will keep a king humble. But Solomon didn't do that. And in fact, the way Solomon lived his life caused the nation to split in half after his death because he never appointed a successor. He never set up the kingdom to succeed after him because all he had was a kingdom of me. All he ever did was look inside. He never looked beyond. And this is something that Jesus taught about in his ministry because there's this point in the middle of the Gospels where Jesus starts being more clear with his disciples He's taken them on a journey of realizing that he is the Messiah, that he is the Son of God, that he is divine, clothed in human form. He is fully God, fully human, walking with the disciples, teaching them, telling them he's the Messiah, telling them what he's going to do. And then there's this, this turning point in the middle of the Gospels where Jesus starts telling his disciples, I'm going to die. I am going to be arrested. I am going to be killed. I'm going to be handed over. I'm going to be executed. But the story doesn't end there. And he tells his disciples that three days later, he's going to rise from the dead, that death cannot overcome Jesus. And the disciples don't understand this or get this at first. And so Jesus goes on. And after one of these times where he tells the disciples about how he's going to be killed and die, but he's going to come back to life. And this is the demonstration of God's power over everything. Jesus tells the crowds this, not just to his disciples. He tells the whole crowd this. He says, if you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but are yourself lost or destroyed? See, Jesus is challenging them and saying, if you will try to hold on to everything the way that Solomon held on to everything, You're going to lose it all. But if you let it go, if you lose it for the sake of Jesus, that is where you will find your life. And so if we're looking for what's the mission that's bigger than ourselves, one of the questions we have to ask ourselves, and this is a deep question, this is a difficult question to ask, is to say, is my mission to build the kingdom of God or to build a kingdom of me? Am I trying to be Solomon and amass everything for myself and find meaning in that? Or am I trying to build the kingdom of God that Jesus preached about and talked about and said that's what he came to begin and that it was the work of the church, us, his followers, to carry that on, to bring the kingdom of God to permeate through the whole world? See, the terrifying alternative to emptiness is we need to choose to die to ourselves. We need to choose to find a mission bigger than what we are. We need to be willing to say, everything I am, everything I have, it's only going to push me down that path towards emptiness because it's always going to disappoint. It's always going to fail. It's always never not going to live up to what we thought it was going to live up to. And so we come back to that. If you want to beat emptiness, we need to find a mission that's bigger than you. And so what Jesus does is Jesus gives this amazing, great invitation. He says, follow me. In fact, he uses the term, he says, pick up your cross. And at the time when he said it, I don't know if his his audience would have really understood what that meant when he said, pick up your cross. He said, pick up the thing that will end up killing you. Pick up the thing that will bury you. Pick up the thing that will harm you. And carry it for Jesus. Carry it in the way that Jesus did, where he willfully chose to die to himself so that he could make a path open for us. And so the invitation that Jesus gives is to say, you can choose to follow me. You can choose to find meaning and purpose in your life by following me. And it's not just a surface level, okay, Jesus, I follow you, now give me all the things I want in the kingdom of me. Because that's what makes us as followers of Jesus just appear as hypocrites to the world. But what does it mean? to follow Jesus in a way where we say, okay, Jesus, I want your mission to replace my mission. I want your view of the future to be the view of the future that I am chasing and looking for. I want how you have called people to you. I want to live my life calling people to you and pointing to you instead of pointing to me. That is the transformation mission that Jesus calls us to, to take our lives And to understand that our lives will only lead us to emptiness. Our lives will lead us to meaninglessness. But when we look that terrifying decision in the face and we say, I'm going to let go of me. And I'm going to fully focus on the mission that God has. I'm going to fully focus on who he is, on his love, on who he says I am, rather than what all my things say I am when we take that shift of identity, we get to find the meaning and the purpose and the fulfillment that Jesus talked about. See, when you die to yourself, something greater rises. When we give up on the kingdom of me, the kingdom of God gets to grow and flourish. And when we choose to give our lives away, that's when we find it. See, for me, my emptiness only came to a resolution when I started to understand that this wasn't just hoops to jump through, that this ordination process that I had to go through just to get these three little letters that I never even use, it was actually about something bigger. It was actually about affirming this mission that God had given me, this calling. And it was about me redefining and understanding my calling in a new and different way. And it's not just pastors and international workers that have a calling. Every single person has a calling, something that Jesus is trying to say to you, trying to to put in front of you to say, This is how you get to build my kingdom. See, I look at the whole kingdom of God and I say, God, why wouldn't you just do it all yourself? You're so much better at it than we would have been, anyways. But that's the beauty of the kingdom of God, that all of us who are broken, who have flaws, who have problems and issues and feel empty at times, feel cynical at times, feel disconnected, feel prideful, even burnt out, God uses us because in our weakness, it's the Holy Spirit living through us that builds the kingdom. That's what it means to give our lives away. It doesn't mean that we lose everything. We gain so much more. And so I don't know where you're at on that decision. But maybe this is a moment, this is a time where that decision is something that God is prompting you with and saying, maybe it's time to make that choice. Maybe it's time to make that choice to let go of the kingdom of me and instead choose to focus on the kingdom of God. Maybe it's time to take that emptiness we feel and say, that emptiness instead is going to drive me to find fulfillment in the only thing that does fulfill And that is recognizing who we are in Christ, recognizing who we are in God's love, recognizing his deep care for us. And so if that's a decision you're at, I want to invite you to just silently pray along with me in a moment. To say, this is the choice I'm choosing to make. God, you are the answer to our emptiness. And we come before you as people who have tried to build kingdoms of ourselves, who have tried to pin it on our own success to pin it on our own goals and to say when i reach that then i'll be fulfilled but jesus we come before you and we recognize that you are the source of that fulfillment that you are the source of the mission that is greater than ourselves and that if we only ever look inside we'll miss seeing your glory and seeing your great amazing and overwhelming love for us and so Jesus, we come before you and we say it's time to let go of the kingdom of me and we choose to trot our trust and our faith in you. We choose to define our lives in you. And Lord, we choose your kingdom over ours. Amen. If that's the prayer that you're making. That's the thing that angels in heaven are celebrating because this is the thing that Jesus celebrated the most when people who were distant chose to come near. And so, folks, this series that we're digging into is dealing with some difficult pieces. And next week, we're going to deal with probably what's going to be one of the most difficult ones of them all. We're going to be talking about burnout. We're going to be talking about what happens when we hit the end of that rope. And so I really want to encourage you to plan to be here next Sunday at 11, and Carrie's going to lead us into the discussion on burnout. So, folks, I hope you have a great week, and we'll see you next Sunday. We hope this message helped you to take the next step in your faith journey. If you're in the area, we'd love to have you join us Sundays at 11 a.m. You can find out more about us by going to mygrandvalley.ca.